to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, resilience, COVID, emergency management, crisis communications, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find and I do respond to everything I get. Quick note, I will be speaking at the upcoming Continuity Insights Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, April 25th to 27th. So fingers crossed, we'll be able to do that in person and hopefully I'll see some of you there. Today's topic is one that I'm excited about and uh, trying to get organized, but calendars just have us go in different directions. I'm really excited to talk to uh, my two guests today. The topic is women and resilience, and I'd like to welcome to the show, Rena Singh and Margaret Millett. Welcome to the show, Rena. Welcome, Margaret. Hello, thank Hello. you. Yes, thank you, Alex. Thank you for having us. Oh, my pleasure. As I said, I've wanted to talk about this for a long time, but I know I'm talking with two very busy people, and you know we just couldn't get things uh, synced there for a little while, but we now can. So I'm really happy to have you here. Um, as I said, um, I, I just want to put a little bit of a personal spin on uh, our topic today, women and resilience, and then I'll, I'll have you introduce yourselves um, and we can continue on. But um, when I was growing up, um, there were three women in my life that were incredibly strong, that I love dearly, and um, I thought, you know, that they were resilient, always resilient. They went through uh, hardships. They had, they were running businesses and stores and, you know, they had their families uh, contend to contend with. They had uh, illnesses and uh, that was my mother and her two friends, best friends, uh, my auntie Brenda and my auntie uh, Kendall. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say it's tough growing up. You know, your mom always knows what you're doing. Well, try growing up when you've got three of them, you know, that, oh, you, you can't escape anything. And uh, they were fantastic. I had great conversations, even uh, philosophical conversation with them. And no matter what was thrown at them, they just kept going. Um, sorry, getting a little emotional here for a second. Um, so I really, really am looking forward to talking with you both today because the three of them are people that I greatly admire and always have. And sadly, uh, Auntie Brenda and Auntie uh, Kendall aren't with us today anymore, but uh, I still have my mom. And uh, this show, I am dedicating to them. So I'm really happy to have you here to uh, share this with me. Now, now um, enough of my soppy story. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Could you each take a moment, uh, a minute or two, and just tell us a little bit about yourselves? Um, who would like to go first? Rena, I'm going to let you go first. Great. Okay. Thank you. Uh, wonderful, Alex. So nice to hear that this episode is dedicated to those special women in your life. And I love it. My name is Rena Singh. I am the founder of the Resilience Pod podcast, uh, chair of the Women in Resilience Committee, and also a resilience practitioner by day two. So I get it. I get all the challenges we all face when working in the industry. Margaret, over to you. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Margaret Mellett. I am also a practitioner for many years and, um, you know, in the trenches. And, and Alex, I, I am so touched that you dedicated this to the women in your life who had an influence on you. 
Um, I come from a long line of strong women as well. And I look back and I think back in the time when, you know, my grandmothers were growing up and my mom, it's like, you didn't always have the opportunity to one, finish your education, or if you did, your choices were very limited. Um, you know, many women years ago went into becoming secretaries, um, teachers or nurses. And I think if they were in these shoes today, their world would be totally, totally different. Mm. Well, welcome, Margaret, and welcome, Rena. I'm really happy to have you here with us today. Let's jump into things. Um, I was going to ask uh, how the committee came around, but I know that kind of predates both of you. So uh, I'll just say thanks to BCI for thinking about it and pulling it all together. Now let's move on. The next part <laughs> I'd like to talk about, um, what are some of the problems women are facing in the business continuity, disaster recovery, or resilience industries? Oh, Alex, that's such a such a huge million dollar question. <laughs> and, and where do I start? Like, we go back to like, World War One, two, and all the challenges women face, we've all come a long way regarding women in the workplace. And I don't feel that categorizing specifically is in the women's challenges in uh, resilience any different to any other interests uh, industry different because I feel like it's fundamentally the same so yes we've spent we've come a long way over like 50 years 100 years or so forth but we still have the challenges that a uh, leadership challenges we're not advancing quick enough you know trying to promote women into senior positions leadership positions has been on organizations forefront for like over 10 years nothing's changed really uh gender pay gap still mm. a problem you know uh then there's uh those constant inequalities where it, there's lots of different intersections so whether you are it's gender-based age-based race based as well and mm. and then the geographic location of where you're based to and the challenges within that then on another layer of that it's the challenges women face of actually operating day-to-day -day office politics a one they don't do it or they do it or they just don't get a voice um at the table so I feel like we could probably spend the whole episode talking about this in very much detail, but there's all these general issues that still exist within our industry, um, which doesn't help. And then on top of that, we are as women, and I'm not talking about every single one, but definitely for myself, and I wonder if Margaret can relate to this, is we're sort of, we have that imposter syndrome sometimes too. So we don't really help ourselves in that aspect. And we we kind of, with all this stuff going on about, you know, the challenges we face in the workplace, that imposter syndrome comes into play quite frequently for us because we're trying to manage different uh, responsibilities. And the pandemic, and I hate going on about this, but it has actually reinforced that struggle that women face and actually has made us step back a little bit in terms of progress. Margaret? Um, you know, I'm going to say, I think the other challenge with the profession also is the fact that, you know, this is still a hidden profession. You yeah. don't find out about it when you go to university. There is more on other realms of corporate America or corporate global world, excuse me, since this is going to be broadcast globally. <laughs> and young people find out more about things like cybersecurity. You can go get degrees in cybersecurity. It's, it's also sad that, you know, over the last 20 years or so that this has not made a foothold into universities to become an undergraduate degree. Um, it's made advancements for the graduate field, but that's then when you're getting into a niche market of people going into the profession. And again, I think that the other thing that can be disalarming about business continuity and trying to get people to come into this profession is, you know, we're not the sexy ones in the office. We're not the cybersecurity people. We are lean and mean small teams. And I think that can be somewhat of an eye opener of, hey, they want me to go work at this team. There's a lot of cool work going on, but, you know, it's like a small handful of people, but yet you look at cybersecurity teams at companies and they're growing by leaps and bounds. Or I always kiddingly say, name me an organization that has five human resources people or five lawyers. Nobody's going to say that they have that, but yet large corporations are asking business continuity teams to run on, you know, a handful of people to support them in multiple countries across the globe. Um, so I also don't think that executive leadership is doing any favors for the profession either. 
is is that why maybe there there aren't as many women in the industry as there should be is because it's not promoted uh, as as you both brought up like in universities in organizations it's business continuity is an often an afterthought so people don't think about it yeah so it, so it doesn't attract you know, yeah, if you go ask, how did you get into this profession? I think you'll find a majority of the people will say they got into it by accident. Um, yeah, um, I'm going to raise my hand as well. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, we have started to see some people graduating from university and coming into the profession. But I think some of that is only through the fact that they've had an opportunity to do internships in their collegiate years that then have opened their eyes to it and then have gotten a taste for it and wanted to continue on with it. So I, I hope that that continues to evolve, but you know, not everyone's gonna take an internship um, in a field that's not related to their major degree. Mm -hmm. And that you isn't know, considered, I, I forget, I think it was Rena, you said it, you know, that isn't considered sexy. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what Margaret said. And I wanna add to that, that all these kind of jobs that we do aren't fundamentally designed for women uh, because it was always male-dominated. There's late nights, conflicting demands. Generally, the whole workplace for women and just work in general was designed for a man's world because the women would always be taking care of home responsibilities. So when jobs are designed, advertised, are they offering, are, are they designed in a flexible way? No. And that's probably why women aren't advancing or thinking about doing jobs because oh how can I manage all the conflicting priorities that I do outside of work with a demanding job like what we can do and some roles are very very demanding than others how are you going to fit that into your personal life and the the fact is we all have biases especially in employment and when you are a woman applying for a senior position they will look at you and a lot of people will think oh is she going to go off and have children? Is she how is she going to manage? Will your husband let you work? Well, well, actually, wait. How is any of that relevant? And I, sorry to say, it does actually happen still right now. And if it hasn't crossed anyone's minds, um, I'd be very surprised. Um, but it's it's a it's a hard fact that we have to remember that steel jobs aren't designed specifically for women. Yeah, I, I agree with what Rena says, because, for example, you know, I don't think women are given enough credit if, you know, you get online at 6 a.m. and then you stop at 730 and then you come back on at 930. You, you already worked an hour and a half. You're still getting your job done. And I also think that employers really need to take a moment and stop and think about before they post a job, because, you know, this need to be on call 24 by 7. Is, is kind of like archaic in this day and age when organizations want to be, and I'm gonna use the word resilient and not meaning as in business continuity, but meaning that they wanna be there to service everyone. You can't ask a group of people to be there morning, noon and night, 24 seven weekends, et cetera. That, that's an ask for burnout. So why can't we implement shift work or follow the sun models um, so that we can support people so that they can have what I call a normal work day um, you know, I, I, a lot of people kid me on this, that when I say there's 24 hours in the day, a third of it should be for sleeping, a third of it should be for working, and a third of it should be with your family and friends. <laughs> and, you know, when we then bleed in too much time of not getting to sleep or see your family and friends, that's a red light. And that should also be a red light for executive management. Are we seeing any changes, though? That, because a lot of what you brought up is you know, and as you described, historical, and that's exactly where people uh, and some people are continuing to think. But are we seeing any changes now going forward? I know I've seen uh, some, you know, what about yourselves? I don't think it's at a fast enough rate for business continuity professionals. Mm. I see it happening with others, like the cybersecurity team or the physical security team that, you know, they'll have larger teams. They will have a follow the sun model. 
Um, but I don't see that happening with business continuity teams. I, I don't know about you, Rena. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I think there's an intention to do it, but there's still the oh, we don't have enough people. Why is one person doing it? Like Margaret said before, why is one person managing a whole global uh, sort of empire for uh, continuity? Why? And then also. A lot of these things are becoming a checkbox exercise for organizations. Mm. So, yes, uh, management might have the intention uh, to look at this and change this, but they're not really because it's the proof's in the pudding, really. And that all comes to not just societal issues for business, but individual personal issues about say who the manager is who the execs are and what their belief system is and whether that aligns to it or not because ultimately that's going to filter down so there's a long long way to go yes there are some small changes and there's say like flexible working or whatever but to the point which margaret made about a role asking for 24 7 well funnily enough in our women's women in resilience whatsapp group i found a recent role and one of the expectation was be on call 24 7 like for the whole year um, and it was for a junior position so a you're not getting paid enough there was no salary disclosed and you want me to be 24 7 we were just sharing this as proof that actually this is definitely not catered for women and it's unrealistic i've noticed a lot of those 24 7 positions are junior and uh, you know and it, it's, it's really not fair i don't agree with them yeah. you know um, yeah i'm on side with both of you on that um uh, you mentioned a tick box exercise. How do uh, we recognize if it is a text box exercise rather than a genuine um, uh, activity to recruit and you know bring women on board into our industry and not the tick box? It's like, oh, great, Rena, Rena signed up and Margaret signed up. Good, tick, tick. Yeah, I can go first because um, so let's look at our organization or the business that we're working in. How many women are in the team count? And then out of that, how many have been put forward, say, for a specific course, for example, on women in leadership? OK, they've done that. Great. You've given me the opportunity to do this fantastic five day residential It's amazing. I'm empowered. But then what? What has the business then supported since I've done that course? So checkbox, yeah, we've got all the women over this certain band, like level doing this. What have you done to support me? Or have you just completely forgotten about it? And then mm. has then your director or senior person got a checklist in a meeting and then said, oh, all these people, women, went on this course and... What have, where are they now in the business? And then they're like, oh, shoot, I didn't know you went on this course. So they're trying to come and talk to you and they've never made the effort to talk to you in the past to see, oh, where can I position you if you want? And it's completely, for me, that's checkbox because then you never hear from it again. And I've experienced it. That's why I'm saying it is mm. that that is a clear, you're just doing it to check a box. And then there's been no follow-up, no resource, no nothing even from HR to do it. And that's a fine indicator for that for, personally for me. Margaret? And, oh, Rita, uh, you know, this is where I'm going to say you and I are so cut from the same cloth because one, when I get asked to go do things that are for, women <laughs> where are the men classes um because it gets down to it's it, statistics have shown and research has shown that men will read a job description know they're not 100 percent qualified and just put their name in women will read the job description and realize that they don't have certain aspects that they need in order to be successful in the position and my may or may not apply and then you're right rena like why do we need a women in leadership class at organizations we don't have one for men. And yet, so oftentimes when I talk to men who are then put in the role of being a people manager, they've never done it before. And so they're trying to learn on the job uh, as they mature in their careers. And then the other thing that I find fascinating um, in my career, and I've worked at quite a few companies, if you were to look at my profile on LinkedIn, 
I've always had women HR business partners. So even women are not our allies when it comes to the promotion cycle. It's more, I think that, you know, they don't want to rock the boat and it'll be like, oh, so-and-so, you know, we really need to keep him because he's critical to running our whatever. Um, and, you know, we have a chief information security officer, but we've heard rumors about, you know, chief resiliency officers for years at organizations. And very few companies have that seat at the C level or um, of their companies. Mm-hmm. Any follow up, Rena? Anything to add? No, I, I, it's true. And uh, uh, we'll just get too passionate if we keep going on about this. Um, and it feel, it can feel to whoever's listening or watching us a bit dramatic, I'd like to say. But when you have personally experienced it and you know what it's really like. And this is why it's really important to have this conversation, Alex, because it actually whoever's listening like just take note of what we're saying we're not just saying it because we're just angry (laughs) uh this is coming from a place of actual like this is annoying and how can we change it and and as you both said from experience yeah yes you're you're speaking from experience you're not reading from a textbook or or somebody else's verbiage it's your own lives you're talking about here yeah and i think it's also one of those where you know i know quite a few women who are in resiliency positions they deliver time and time again, hand over fist, and you know they're doing amazing things with small teams, and yet then you know you'll hear that they did not get promoted and it went to somebody else who you know did less, um, didn't accomplish as much, and or you know you hear about oh well you know we we moved people from her team to his team and then we promoted him. It, it's interesting you said that because my last contract, I, I saw the same thing happen. Yeah. I was working for a, uh, um, a senior director. She was just fantastic. I loved working with her. But there wasn't a path for her to go up. So she went sideways because there is a path to go somewhere else. Yeah. So it, 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 to me, it felt like, wow, she left a fantastic job. She had a fantastic team, but she had to leave it to be able to move forward. Yep. You know, and, and you know, I, I wish her all the best, of course, but it was kind of sad that she had to do that. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. Today, we are talking about women and resilience with Margaret Millett and Rena Singh, and we will be right back. Sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet. Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Not enough women are talking about how they feel about their money. Lisa Chastain is on a mission to change that. If you're feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become capable, savvy, and confident with your personal finances. Listen in and hear stories from other women about how they tackled their financial challenges. Not only will you learn from industry experts, you will hear from everyday women all of the tips, tricks, and advice you need to raise your financial IQ so that you can feel free from your daily stresses with money. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. 
Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Rena Singh and Margaret Millett about women and resilience. Margaret, in the first segment, you talked about women not being an ally. What did you mean by ally? And Rena, feel free to jump in as well. So, you know, when we're talking women and resilience, what is an ally? Rena, do you want to start since I believe you said you had a definition that you think that could be a baseline for us? Yeah, definitely. So an ally, Alex, is, and for everyone listening, is any person that actively promotes and aspires to advance the culture of inclusion through intentional, positive and conscious efforts that benefit people as a whole. So everyone has the ability to be an ally because we all have privileges. It's intersectional, as I mentioned before. So white women can be actionable allies to women of color. Men can be allies to women. Able-bodied can be uh, allies to those with different abilities and so forth. Economically privileged can be those allies to those who are not. So I feel it's important because we're going to discuss this, that we have a vague understanding, a broad and vague understanding of what we mean when we talk about allyship? Margaret? So I've worked at companies and when we get down to the discussion of promotions, um, the HR representative is in the room for that discussion or on a Zoom. And it's interesting that they have not also gone out and looked at the profiles of all the people who are potential candidates for promotions. And I, I feel that you know, they also should be out there as the one that interacts with that senior leadership person who has to go and approve promotions of saying, you know, you have X number of men, you have X number of women, don't you think that you should be doing, you know, certain percentage of promotions um, based, you know, one geographically, two based on male, female, and, and helping set what those requirements should be because, um, you know, I don't, it's always interesting when you go into calibration and sometimes you hear it's like, well, you know, she, she's following up with me on stuff and maybe she's following up too much, but isn't that their job sometimes is to follow up and go do something. And so when I hear sometimes why somebody should not be considered a candidate for a promotion, I'm like, it's nitpicky. And then I also say, what was their job and what did they do that was above and beyond? And I find that oftentimes managers, male managers, that is, are just reiterating what the job description is of the person that they've been hired to do. It's like, you shouldn't get promoted because you know you monitored the, the website for bad things to happen. That's your job. Yeah, you know? that's true. Rena, on the flip, yeah, on the flip side, there is some male managers who don't want to see their female counterparts succeed. So will the, the ball's in their court too. So it's really difficult to then get that allyship not just from women because that's an, again a whole different story but then from others as well like other genders for for women to, to seek that because there's all those unconscious or conscious biases yeah. well we talk about you kind of touched on it to the characteristics of an ally Let, let's use me as an example how can i be an ally to not just the two of you here but to women and resilience, but also what would I do to do the opposite? What kind of characteristics would I have to obviously display that I'm not an ally? Mm. Um, let, let me jump at and kick off that. Um, one of the things that is really important when thinking about allyship is actually 
not saying that you're an ally. So it's not an identity, <laughs> right? So if you're calling yourself an ally, you've already got it wrong, in my opinion, uh, because it's a lifelong process of you're building that trust, that consistency, that accountability for marginalized individuals, be it all groups of people, be it women in resilience, for example, what we're talking about today. So obviously, I appreciate, and so does Margaret, that you know, those people, there are people who want to support women in resilience. Um, but just saying that you want to be an ally and joining our group doesn't make you an ally acting sustainably and doing the work to improve the overall system does. So what do I mean by that, Alex? Because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of talking a bit textbooky, fluffy here. I've got three take, I've got three things that you can start off with doing. Uh, and for those who are listening, and the first thing is actually educating yourself. So what that means is you need to try and actively understand challenges women and other minorities if you're interested in that support face so let go of the fear because we all have that fear within us of being wrong and don't underestimate someone's assumptions um like don't underestimate someone based on your assumptions so this is again going back to what i said before uh, the break was okay it might sound a bit dramatic what we're saying but don't underestimate that and, and it's okay you know just take a step back we're not here to tell you and teach you every single nuance of the challenges we face you've got to actively try and do the work for that so that's number one and these are not in any particular order but uh, I'll do it in this way number two is you've got to take a stand as an ally when groups become a target for unjust treatment so the most important part of being an ally is actually speaking out when an individual or group is being targeted. So we're in that meeting at work. There's about two females or one female and she's leading the meeting and there's all men. Um, everyone's just ignoring her at the table. And you realize that or interrupting her as she speaks. You realize that what have you done? Have you just kept quiet? Or have you actually said, hold on a minute, or Rena was talking, let her finish or re helped reinforce that. Um, and that for me is taking a stand for unjust treatment because Alex, so many times I get interrupted and people speak over me and it's just annoying because they want to because they feel like they can and it might not be malicious but it's just frustrating for women when that happens all the time and then you start wondering okay what is going on so has anybody actually in the meeting noticed that and saying to me afterwards oh yeah I, I knew that I saw that they were um are trying to undermine you or speak over you well that doesn't help me like if you want to be an ally prove it uh, and so that's number two and then uh, the third one, which we can start off with, is actually promoting leadership to help women and other minorities that may not traditionally take on these leadership positions to progress and find opportunities, uh, recommend them for a new role or give them a platform, you know, like Alex, you're giving everybody um, a platform, you gave me a platform, um, you're giving Margaret a platform, you know, that is a start to that when some people especially women might not actually get that opportunity and for me that's really important because there have been many people in my life who have supported me doing this by giving me a platform believing in me talking well behind me behind my back and supporting me and actually giving me credit where it's due because I tell you from experience there have been times when I've done a fantastic piece of work I've, I've just been glossed over and it's been done as a team oh. effort uh, but the person who's saying that thinks that they're an ally to women uh but they're not <laughs> but they're not so actually doing that is really important and for me it it makes such a difference in showcasing you're an ally without actually telling me you're an ally especially when you're giving that platform or recommending someone for opportunities because there's literally nothing in it for you you actually want to improve the system to help and that's the whole point of allyship no matter if you want to be an ally for a woman, for different ethnic minorities or whatever I've just mentioned, it's you actually genuinely care because together we can create a better space for everyone if we do that. Margaret. 
And I think to add to what Rena said, it's also just the little things that you do day in, day out that can make a huge difference yeah. on how women feel in the workplace. Like, for example, if you need to have meeting minutes taken, don't just automatically look to the woman to take it. Or if you do that, start off saying, hey, could Margaret go first? And then every other every week, somebody else is going to take the baton and do the meeting minutes. Um, you know, oftentimes I've been in meetings where it's like, oh, she can do it. Um, and that's, that doesn't make you feel mm. confident in your job either. I think the other thing is also making sure that when you are doing roundtables, that you don't leave the woman as last, that again, you're mixing it up. Um, and that also goes for presentations to whether it be, you know, all hands meetings or et cetera. Um, I can tell you in my career, oftentimes the last team that gets put into decks is the business continuity team. And, you know, that's also then when it's like, oh, we got 10 minutes left. Let's move it along. Um, why can't we, again, share the wealth um, of having prime time with, with everybody else? And I think the other thing is, um, you know, really think before you try and push something forward for um, being um, recommending something for people, because like, don't always assume that, you know, a woman should go do something that's a woman's initiative um, at the organization that that would be a great spotlight for. Because again, I, I have to say they get, they get, we get offers to go do all these things to help support other women. And it's like, well, we're probably already doing that, but what can we do to also get the spotlight within the organization doing something to get our exposure to leadership, other members of the teams or doing other things globally and not just like, oh, there's a dress for success luncheon on Tuesday. Could you go to that at the local you know, restaurant and represent the company? I, I think that's where we also just need to do this. And, and also for women's events, it's okay to send a man. Really? Can you explain that? Well, uh, here's why. They need to help get educated as well. And I look at it as 50% of the workforce is probably female and 50% of it is men. And I don't think a lot of organizations do a very good job of help educating men on what they need to be cognizant of in the workplace. Um, I know that it's, it's, I may be dating myself now because uh, Cheryl Sandberg at Facebook you know, wrote her lean in book uh, more than 10 years ago now, but there are leaning groups and why can't organizations have a male leaning group so that they can learn about what they may need to do? Or if you get it more mature within your company, why can't men sit in and, and offer something to advice for women? Um, so I think that, again, it's a two-way street. If they don't know that something needs to get done, then they're not gonna be there. And, and I look at it, all these organizations that have talked about women, men can benefit from it too. It's not you know, not every man is cut from the same cloth and neither is every woman. I, I'm glad you said that because years ago, I did sign up for a, a symposium. Um, it was a women's symposium, but I knew who the speaker was. I highly respected her. I knew she had some fantastic thoughts. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to sign up and I'm going to go. Um, I was told I wasn't welcome. Wow. Because um, I also look at it as... women only, and I thought I'm I'm losing out on a fantastic learning experience, experience overall. Yeah, but yeah. I, you know, and it, I, it, I it was shocked. That, that's so tricky, isn't it? Because it depends yeah. on the the intention and the objective of things. Like for women in residence, and then we're going to touch on this a little bit later. Yes, the the platform is for women, and there's been challenges. Like, why aren't you having male speakers? It's like, well, because the whole point of the group is to give women a platform, you know. So then you've got to you've got to stick. You've got to be true to that that objective as well. However, when we run events, and I'm kind of getting my again getting ahead of myself, there are men who show up for women as well, um, yep. and they're they're allies without being allies, as as you yep. said. So it's really interesting. And finally, Alex, one last point to what Margaret said because it's amazing. But it, to the point of actually, what just because I'm a woman, don't expect me to be involved in the women's stuff. I want to say that about diversity and inclusion too, because as a British 
female Indian, like triple whammy, okay? I'm going to put it right out there with all this like <laughs> ethnic minority stuff. I get asked all the time, oh, what do you think of like diversity and inclusion? And what about for, you know, Asian Indian people? Why, why just because I'm brown, why do I have to be involved in everything? Um, for once, I'd rather not, you know, so it's okay to just because you're of that representation that you don't, shouldn't automatically be an expert in mm. those things. Yeah. And on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we're talking about women and resilience with Rena Singh and Margaret Millett, and we'll be right back. Join host Paul Casey every week for new episodes of his podcast, Grow Forward Today. This program is all about helping you grow on your personal leadership development journey. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader, you won't want to miss a single episode. Paul offers his wisdom and insight, as well as engages in discussions with some of the top experts in the leadership field. It's time to realize your leadership potential and get your most important priorities accomplished. Grow forward today on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. listening to preparing for the unexpected with alex fullen email your questions to info at stone-road.com again that's info at stone-road.com now back to preparing for the unexpected welcome back today we are talking with rena singh and margaret millet about women and resilience um rena margaret let's talk about the women in resilience committee now you guys are involved with that what are your specific roles with the committee. Alex, so glad we're touching on this. I am the chair of the Women in Resilience Committee. And Margaret? I am the vice chair. Well, and I've got the two best people to ask this next question. What are the objectives and the purpose <laughs> of the committee? And I guess as the chair, Rena, you can go first. Yeah. So the, the Women in Resilience Committee basically aims to empower and champion women working in our resilience industry. And the way we do that is giving women a platform to showcase their thought leadership, inspire, connect and form an open support system to leverage each other's information so we can thrive and succeed in our careers. Margaret, anything to add? Um, no, I'm going to just say the, the one thing that's been really nice about this is we truly do have a global representation um, so that, you know, we are trying to look at the needs and ask of everybody when they write into us or get on a webinar and say, hey, what about X, Y, or Z? So we're actively listening as to what people are looking for, um, because we know that over these past few years, it's, it's been a challenge. So we've been trying to get ahead of the curve on anticipating people's needs. 
to to carry on uh, one of the points that you've both brought up is the women in resilience committee um ongoing or is there a desire at some point maybe to shut it down hey we've reached our goals or our objectives you know um, what are your thoughts on that Oh, such a loaded question, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, in our world where equal standing still doesn't exist, um, we need to have groups like Women in Resilience. It's absolutely necessary. Yes, we've reached many milestones and so has the generic workforce for the advancement of women, but still it's a fact that women go through a myriad of challenges. So... We need to focus our direction on providing a place for women globally who can vulnerably express themselves and understand and have that understanding and support system to address women specific challenges in our industry and then use that to leverage, like I said earlier, each other's individual and diverse experiences that we have along with our varying privileges. So from my perspective, there is no end date. The end date will be when there's equality 50-50. <laughs> well, I don't even think that even after we get to equality of 50-50, um, that, that we will disband, meaning there have been women organizations at all professions for, or many professions for a long period of time. Yeah. And I just think that there's still going to need to be that forum for women to come together to talk about things. Because even when there's equality, the boat will not be smooth sailing. Um, like life, there are there's the bell curve, you know, it goes well, and then there's the upheavals and things. So something is always going to be there that's going to be the new roadblock or a challenge or even celebrating successes like, you know, hey, look at this. How do we how do we acknowledge this? Um, and so I think that regardless of where we are, that, you know, we'll always have a women in resiliency, just like you hear about, you know, women in law, women in medical, et cetera. And before I ask the next question, how can people get in touch with you if they want to be involved with the committee or contribute or just to find out more information? How can they reach out and find you? Well, we're both on LinkedIn, um, so feel free to reach out to us. And, and then there actually is a BCI Women in Resiliency page. Uh, feel free to connect on that page to ask to join. And get you know we also love an extra set of helping hands. So if you're looking to volunteer, there are ways to get involved. Um, and then you know we are road mapping a full calendar of events for 2022. So uh, and also continue to check the BCI website. We have our own group page, and you can find out about events and things that we will be hosting in the next coming year. I'm going to go get that link uh, when we're finished our talk, and I'm going to put that in the uh, episode submission to Voice America. And I'm also going to put the link in the description um, when the show appears on uh, um, YouTube as well. So uh, that will help and get people coming to towards you. Um, my next question, what are some of the things you have worked on? You know, what, what has the committee worked on? And are there some projects that maybe you want to share with us so that are either happening now or things that you might have in the future? Because you did mention, uh, mention an events page. Mm, yeah we so, yeah and you know we're not going to give up all it all away on this podcast Alex but <laughs> we've had considerable online events over this past year uh hundreds of spotlights that have happened since the start of women in resilience spotlighting women who are working here along with looking at our allies and what they've contributed to the advancement of women in our industry articles blog posts webinars Um, and that really thriving LinkedIn group that's helping meet the global connections so there's so much and so many ways that you know you can benefit from this and it's all free as well so all these uh, resources that you're getting are free plus there's an opportunity for anybody who wants to to write articles to host a webinar to speak at an event to do a spotlight because the whole point of this group is to hear from diverse women get support and actually provide that platform so it's there 
it's there for you you've just got to make the effort so if you're interested I want to hear from everyone and that's the only way that this is going to work and that's the only caveat is that you've got to put in that effort we're putting a lot bringing to you a whole host of events as Margaret had said but we also want you to give that effort back to for yourself as well because you're going to be part of creating a legacy for other women who are entering the resilience field and then helping them break the glass ceilings if they want to. Mm-hmm. Margaret anything to add? You know I think the other thing that's great in this day and age of technology is that our events are available on demand and so that you know you can go back if you want to find out more about what we've done in the past few years uh, it's available on the BCI website and I think the other thing is is you know we talked about how we're trying to do things globally so you know, there are going to be times when we're running an event and hopefully you're going to be sleeping because it's in, you know, your time to be sleeping in your time zone and that you can go back. Um, And we really try and think about what are the needs. Um, And so that's where we do listen to what people are asking for. Um, I know this year we really focused in on, you know, how to make ourselves better prepared for still, you know, living and dealing with COVID. Um, What do we need to know? to make ourselves continue to be successful, knowing it's like, you know, doing the hokey pokey, you're going back to work in the office. No, you're not going back. And, you know, (laughs) so how do we help everybody deal with that as well as, you know, just life? I mean, it's still continued to to be a challenge depending on where you're at. Um, For example, I was just in the Netherlands last month and, you know, they put down some new restrictions for COVID. I think it's, again, how do I continue to live my life and be successful? And how can we help you navigate that with the events that we are hosting for you? And we want to still be there to be your number one source to be successful as a woman in resiliency across the globe. We have uh, just over three minutes left. So could each of you take a a minute with any final thought? Uh, Margaret, why don't you go first? Thanks, Alex. I do think it's important that we as human beings, you know, take a moment to figure out how we can continue to help one another. And I think that the Women in Resiliency Committee is a perfect platform to continue to grow this profession. Um, And I say this is really important because, you know, I've been in this profession for a long time and I never thought that I would be in this profession as long as I have been, but I have loved every minute of my career But I'm also getting to a point in my life where I have less years to work ahead of me than um, others do. And I think that in order for this profession to continue to thrive, we have to get new people in. So it's our responsibility to help make sure that this profession continues to thrive and we get outstanding people to continue to contribute to this profession. Great. Thank you. Rena. Listen, it's your chance to leave a legacy in addressing equality but also setting the industry standard for resilience so we can provide better leveraging opportunities and help each other and the next generation of female resilience leaders. Yeah. And on that note, we've come to the end of our show. Rena, Margaret, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad our calendar is finally synced and we got (laughs) to talk about this. Um, I really appreciate it. And I know we had lots of chats during our breaks too. We probably could have done twice the uh, the amount of time that we, we have. Uh, we really got going a couple of times. <laughs> but I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your time. And I uh, full support Women in Resilience and your committee. And I'll be checking out those pages as well. And I, as I say, I will include the links so that hopefully uh, listeners and viewers, please check them out. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise. I really appreciate it. And as I say, this episode was dedicated to my mom, my Auntie Brenda, my Auntie uh, Kendall. I miss you guys. I love you guys. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing. And to everybody listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.